Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode nine of Conti and Nick. I'm Will Nicholson, and as always, I have with me Gino Conti, and uh, we, we got a good episode for you guys today. Yeah, so listen, today we're, we're going to start off talking some Boston Celtics, but today on Conti and Nick, we're going to be bringing in a very, very special guest, the play-by-play guy for the New England Patriots, Bob Sosi. This man is dubbed as like the voice of the New England Patriots. That's coming a little bit later, but I mean, it's going to be one, it's going to be one exciting day. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. All right, so we're going to be getting into some Celtics to start off this episode. Uh, as many of you have probably seen, Danny Ainge is no longer the general manager for the Boston Celtics, and head coach Brad Stevens is no longer head coach Brad Stevens. He's moved to the general manager position. Well, president of basketball operations. Yeah. And then they could also hire a GM under him. Okay. But so I, my guess is he'll but... probably be the GM. Yeah, like, yeah. He's, no, 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 he's yeah. been like Danny's guy, and he's already been the one that's looking for – uh, new head coaches, and we got a list yesterday. And we it was uh, Chauncey Billups, Sam Cassell, yeah, and a, bu- a bunch of other people. It was a whole list, right? We have to pull that up to to see exactly who it was. But uh, I guess K- we're KP's been in the talks. Yeah, a lot of people want Kevin Garnett. So Kevin a, a Garnett lot of people would be great. want like former Celtics or former players who have pulled in the league. Uh, Jason Kidd. Don't forget yes. about Jason Kidd. Jason He's Kidd. One of them. So I mean, there there are about four or five people who have definitely been with the like, within the mix within the conversation, but I think uh, Billups and Sam Cassell have been the two like most mentioned so far. Probably the front runner. So that leads me to my my question for you, I guess, you know, what do you think the Patriots should do, or sorry, what do you think the Celtics should do, my bad, for a, uh, a new head coach? So honestly, I think right off the bat, Chauncey Billups. Okay, Chauncey Billups is a man who has a lot of pull in the league, okay, and I hate to, I'm, I'm not ripping off anybody, like Tony Maserati has said this multiple times, he said, hey, listen, kid, here's my ring. Where's yours? Just because you can drop 50 doesn't mean you're better than me. I'm a veteran. I know what it takes to be in this league, and I played on one of the most physical teams in recent memory, the Detroit Pistons. I'm saying in this era, not mm. like the 80s and the 90s where you could elbow people and get away with it. Okay, <laughs> so I definitely think that Chauncey Billups, with that like vigor, with that experience, okay, first of all, that man has been rock solid throughout his entire career. Okay, I think that man's been rocks all throughout his entire career, and, and I really think that we'll we'll like dive into who I think they should be getting later. But do you think that Chauncey Phillips just being able to have like a relatable personality to the players, unlike Stevens had, I think that definitely can. Like I said, whoever they get, with like I said, we'll get into later, that like can relate to those. He can relate to those role players. Yeah, and he can definitely like get the most out of somebody who otherwise was not working out elsewhere. Because he can just relate, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think Chauncey Billups would be a great coach, first of all. I think he'd be really good. I think what the Celtics were probably lacking, and the reports have already come out now, that Brad didn't really – I won't say he wasn't, like, a motivator, because I don't think a coach needs to necessarily be a motivator, but he wasn't as big as of, of a voice in the locker room as I think maybe Marcus Smart was or Jalen Brown, guys like that. And I think that the Celtics could really use a guy, a former player, who can go in there and just tell tell them what the situation is and what they have to do. And like, yeah, that oh, that's what coaches are there for. But a coach that can describe the situation, they're the best coaches. Like, look at Steve Kerr. The amount of experience that man had from playing in the 90s, you hear it in the, the mic'd ups where he's talking to Steph, saying like, okay, this is the situation, this is what you have to do. And, you know, obviously Steph is a great player, but I think that what what makes Steve Kerr a great coach, I think that Chauncey Billups would do that. 
And I don't think it's going to happen, but I would love Kevin Garnett to come in and coach because you know he's screaming in the locker yeah. room. So I will say this, though, about Steve Kerr. I mean, look at what's happened, though, ever since. I mean, I, I can't fault him for Clay Thompson getting hurt, of course. Yes. Okay, because that is completely and utterly not his fault, and I predict that they'll be better when Clay Thompson comes back next season. <laughs> Even if he's 75% of himself, he's still a top-five shooter of all time. I personally do not think that Steve Kerr is actually all that – I wouldn't say all that good of a head coach because, obviously, he has qualities and the players respect him, and like that's something that we were just talking about we want the Celtics to have. A lot of it is Steph Curry, I would yeah. say. Yes, a I mean, lot of it is Steph Curry. Think about it. Like, look at what that team was when Steph Curry was hurt for a lot of last season. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. There. So I, I think that Steve Kerr does a good job of getting premium talent to listen to him. But the only reason they were able to get that premium talent is because of Mark Jackson and that management position that really drafted the Warriors. You know, the only really free agent free agent acquisition they had was KD. Yeah. Okay? And, like, Kevin Durant was obviously huge and something that put them way, way over the top and way above everyone else. I mean, it took him getting hurt and it took uh, Clay getting hurt in order for the Raptors to even win in six games. I mean, that tells you how good they are. Yeah, I see, like, the, the thing with Steve Kerr, and not to stay on Steve Kerr for, for a lot long, but they had, I always forget, I, I butcher his name every time. He was the coach before Steve Kerr. Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, there we go. I, every, I know it's Jackson, so I always forget it. But uh, they were a good team with Mark Jackson. Steve Kerr comes in, they're, they're winning a championship. Obviously, the Cavs had injuries, all that stuff like that. But I think former, just to summarize it, former players, I think, make the best head coaches. Doc Rivers, all, all the good coaches, There, there I feel are like. rare exceptions to the rule, like there are. Popovich. Yes. Like, I wouldn't even call Mike. But Antonio Popovich was a, coach, around but... the game for so long. Yeah. You, so, you pick stuff up. Yeah, and but and he was like the military style. Like, he's in his 70s, and, you know, he has that old-school mentality along with being able to relate to the players but hold them accountable. And I love what Greg Popovich does, like kind of what you alluded to earlier when he said, hey, listen, it's my job to coach. It's not my job to motivate these players. Yeah. Like these players are on the biggest stage of basketball in the world. Like that should be enough motivation for them. And that like military style, I think definitely has earned like. And Pop is just as motivated, dude. You see yeah, him yelling dude, on the yeah, bench. Dude, he's in his seventies, and he's just. He's screaming. Yeah, he's getting exactly. ejected from games at like seventy. What is he like seventy-seven? No, no, he's, he's not in, that he's, old. He's, he's in his early seventies. Okay, never mind. Yeah, he's in. Oh, you're good. He's in his early seventies. I'm sorry, Pop. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, moving moving on or getting back to the Celtics. Yeah. Um, I like I said, I do think that San Cassell would be like definitely a good uh, pick as well like for a head coach as well because he does have a ring with the 2008 hmm. Celtics but I, I wouldn't but he was more towards the end and he was more of a role player at that point yeah okay so I definitely think that Chauncey Phillips who was when you think of the 0405 Pistons like you think of Ben Wallace and then you could say Rip Hamilton you could say Rashid but you really think of Phillips second if that's yeah. my personal opinion like I like personally just think of Billups right after I think of Ben Wallace. So yeah. it, I, I was going to say, I, yeah. Ben Wallace is the top guy there. Yeah, for yeah. Sure, Ben but. Wallace for sure is the top, but like fifth, like 15 years of just rock-solid play from Chauncey Billups. Like, he, obviously, when he gets old, like he became more of a mentor. But I, I just think that when you have that sort of a player, I, I mean, that's kind of the players that really turn out to be coaches, if you really think about it. Yeah. I mean, Doc Rivers was really nothing special on the Hawks. Yeah. But he definitely the like, grit and grind players. Yeah, he, yeah. he had the he had like the mentality of playing with Dominique, and they had some relative success. Okay, so it's not it's not like he was irrelevant. Like he was good. 
Okay, like Mark Jackson, he he was he's what like top five in assists all time. Yeah. Okay, he was never anything huge or like incredibly like Hall of Fame special, but he's like a facilitator. He was like a good point guard and a floor general. Okay, it's, like, it's the team guys. The team guys make the best yes, coaches because exactly. they already have that team mentality. Yeah, and, and like one of the one of the few some some of the few exceptions like Jason Kidd. I mean, he was an all right coach though. I mean, yeah. I'd say he was an average coach. Kevin McHale, like one of the greatest Kevin power was of all right. time. Didn't Bird coach for a minute, or he was an Bird owner? Bird was an executive for the okay. Pacers. So uh, we we have found out that players do not make good executives thus far. Yes, yeah, MJ. <laughs> we've so, seen that. So, I I want to go at one of your guys really quick though, because I know that you're a James Harden guy, and we we saw it I think yesterday uh-huh. or earlier today about the Celtics being interested in D'Antoni. And I, I gotta say, D'Antoni is a no go for me. I that is like one of the coaches out there that is if he comes here, like Tatum will probably average like thirty five and like win MVP because he's an offensive coach. But I I don't think moving forward that that's the right coach. D'Antoni's a no go for me. Have you ever heard uh, the phrase or like the funny saying? Uh, Take the D out of D'Antoni because it's just how it is on the floor. <laughs> I haven't heard that, but that makes complete sense so a lot of people will call him mike antony because <laughs> there's no d that's awesome yeah so i've I, never heard that but that is awesome that? i'm oh, gonna start yeah. using that that's yeah, great yeah do it no but um yeah so d antony obviously you covered that well like he'll average easily like fucking 35 a game yeah okay like it'll definitely be something where we look at tatum and he's in the mvp conversation it'll be iso it'll yeah, be yeah. isolation yeah. It'll be free. The Celtics will yeah. sign a bunch of shooters. Yeah, It'll be the Houston Rockets exactly. all over again. And, you know, and they'll sign a bunch of shooters. They won't sign basketball players. Yeah. Okay. That that'll and, and you know what? More power to more not more power to him actually because I don't want it. But more power to Dean Tony for running that because it, it kind of worked in Houston. They yeah. they were one game away and they were a single digit loss away to making it to the NBA Finals in 2018. That's what I respect about D'Antoni. Like, you you know what you're getting with D'Antoni. If you have a good player who's a scorer, you hire D'Antoni as a coach, and you put shooters around that star player, they're, they're going to have a great season. The, the, and, like, that, that doesn't make him a bad coach because that's all he can do, right? But it, you know, it, it, it has value. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if you can have a team that makes the playoffs pretty much every year he coaches with that type of system going, I'm that's a good coach. But Well, yeah, and, and listen, I'm not trying to tell you he's, like, not a good coach. What I'm trying to tell you is there, there's levels, and there's a certain point where things don't work. Like, a lot of D'Antoni, like we said, is isolation, is, like, just taking threes and or just making layups. It's, like, it's literally AAU, like, rec league type of offense. Cut out the mid-range. Yeah, cut out the yeah. mid-range. And you know what, like... At, at the later times in the season, like when it gets to the conference finals and the NBA finals, I don't know if you notice this, but the best players are usually still in at that point yeah. in time. And you know what? The best players in the league still shoot the mid-range. KD does. Kawhi, Kawhi. Leonard does. Mm-hmm. LeBron James does. Like, all of them do. And they do it efficiently. And the people who are able to do that are usually the teams like that recognize and are able to make it that far. And something about D'Antoni, like, you don't realize, I'm not saying you, but a lot of yeah. people don't realize, a lot of people don't realize that they go into half-court sets, defenses do in the defense, uh, in, in the playoffs. It's all the so playoffs, is. it's it's yeah. more half-court than full-court fast breaks, yes, it, yeah. which is, D'Antoni thrives in the full-court, man. Exactly, and, and yeah. that's what I'm saying, like, 
He's made it to the conference finals a couple times. He's done it with um, Harden. He's done it with Steve Nash in, in the seven seconds or less Suns. Yeah. But it's proven it, it doesn't work. It's not good for a championship like caliber team. Do, do you know what I'm trying to say there? No, I, I get what you mean. I do, and personally, I don't think with the D'Antoni system, I don't think you can win a championship. With the competition, East and West, that you face, I don't think it wins you a championship. I think it's it's good and it's it's pretty for the regular, excuse me, it's good for the regular season, but, I mean, other than that, I don't know how far it gets you. Exactly, and, and you know what, I'm not, I'm not looking, unless we're, unless we're saying, hey, like, we're just trying to take this down, and we're trying to be just, like, a building team for a couple of years, to then, like, accelerate to the next level, yeah. which I don't assume you're doing, because... D'Antoni would be perfect for, like, the Bulls. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. would be, yeah, actually, that'd I didn't be a great think about that, that would be With good. With Levine? Yeah, I think Le- that'd be Levine. good. They'd Levine's not some get, elite scorer, yeah, but they, like... They'd probably have to get rid of Vucevic, because yeah. he doesn't know where the center is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah, he doesn't know where the center is, but anyways, like... P.J. Tucker, get over here. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think overall, D'Antoni, I just, I don't want it. Like, it'll lead to exciting basketball, it'll make the Celtics ch- think they have a chance, but it'll just be the same old song and dance, okay? Yeah. Like it'll be Eastern second Conference round elimination, finals, second, second round elimination, round. Eastern Conference Finals, and guess what? Like second D'Antonio left. Now look, I'm not saying it's because of just D'Antonio in general, but yeah. he's like a win now type of guy. Yeah. So all of your picks will go like just to win now. Yeah. And, and I don't think the Celtics can afford that. No, I, I don't. First of all, boss, that is not. Celtics basketball at all no. in the slightest uh, Boston in general has been a very like grit and grind type team we've never had these really fast explosive like explosive offensive teams I mean the most offensive like explosion we've ever had was like Paul Pierce Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and all those guys played defense yeah exactly like <laughs> Paul Pierce defender like yeah. Kevin Garnett, one of the greatest defenders the of deep all time. Boy, yeah. yeah, the defensive player of the year. And Ray Allen was like a good defender, you know. Yeah. And he wasn't anything special, special, but I mean, yeah. he definitely could hold his own. I mean, that's a big misconception about him that he literally just stood in the corner and shot threes. No, 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 no my friend. That's Duncan Robinson. <laughs> Duncan Robinson doesn't hold a candle to Ray Allen. No shit, Sherlock, but still. Nice. I feel like that had to be said yeah. for the younger generation. Who thinks they know shit? They just saw Ray Allen in Miami hit corner threes and yeah. want to ring with a bro. Yeah, seriously. That's what he did his whole career. Ray Allen was dunking on people in Seattle and yeah, Milwaukee, he was. dude. Yeah, Jesus uh, Shuttlesworth. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, so moving on from Tony because I, I don't want to get started on him because I, I have some yeah. hot takes there that I kind of... <laughs> he's, he's just my no-go. He's my yeah. no-go for a coach. But I don't want him in Boston. I, I have some comments on Tony that I left on the back burner for the sake of, <laughs> for the sake of not getting too upset. Good, good, but, good. <laughs> but, um... So in terms of coach, oh, so in terms of coach, you definitely want uh, either Billups or Cassell. Yeah, Billups, Cassell. If if he will coach Kevin Garnett, a hundred percent. I think I don't Kevin think Garnett he wants said to coach. that. Yeah, I remember Kevin Garnett came out with a statement. He said, um, "Hey, listen, like I'd be in, I'd be in the door, and then five minutes, I'd be out the door." Yeah, it's something so, that he just. I don't. It's think, it's a fever dream. It's a. Yeah, it, it is it's, a fever. It makes so much sense, but it's not going to happen. But my top guy is probably Chauncey Billups, then Sam Cassell. And then if both of those guys are taken, maybe Jason Kidd. But I don't want Jason Kidd here. But he, he's like my last resort and the, the I, head coach. I, I think you also avoid, like, as much as you want to avoid Mike D'Antoni, you, you avoid Jason Kidd at all costs, too, because because he's very well known for not really sealing the deal. You know, yeah. like, it's kind of... He, he was the coach of the the Bucks a couple he, of years he ago, coach, wasn't he? So he was originally the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. And then he went, he got traded, actually, to Milwaukee. 
Because they thought that Milwaukee, Milwaukee was ready and primed to like win. And they were a couple years early. But they thought that he could really get the best out of Giannis. Like yeah. Milwaukee management thought that. And you know what? It happened to be D'Antoni, uh, not D'Antoni, I'm sorry, Budenhoser, at, at least for the short term then. But I think that Jason Kidd just is very well known for not really taking a team over the hump as well. Yeah. You know, he had like a very stale, a very vanilla offense. Budenholzer is definitely better for that team. No, yeah, as of right now, but we'll, we'll see in the future. Because, I mean, Budenholzer has not really done, done well either, not really lived up to his billing as a championship-level coach. Yeah, but, but how much of that is the coach and the players, I guess? I mean, I think it's the coach for not telling Giannis to get to the three-point line and shoot, <laughs> right? I mean, in the playoffs, I mean, you want him off the three-point line, don't you? Well, in the playoffs, I mean, he he should be prepared for the like to be able to shoot threes in the playoffs. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, that's just not Giannis's game. I we've been saying like, oh, if if he gets uh, if he gets a three point shot, he'll be deadly. And I just I think it's too far fetched at this point. Well, exactly. And, you got to take Giannis for what he is right and, now. Yeah, thank you. And what I was gonna say is at this point, he is what he is, and I really don't think there's gonna be any changing that. That's gonna be his one major flaw. But what I'm saying is it's Budenhoser's fault and Jason Kidd's fault. It's both of their fault That's fair. for not telling Giannis, dude, you need to shoot. Like, I don't think you understand, like, the physical attributes that you have at your disposal and that the fact that you could literally be, and he already is, one of the most dominant players of this era. Imagine if you could shoot. Imagine. Yeah. And like, he doesn't need to do anything crazy. He just needs the knockdown jumper. We're, we're not asking, That's it. We're not asking you to be Steph Curry. Okay, yeah. We're not asking you to even be what? Like Tyler Hero. We're asking you to just knock down the occasional three. Something like D Wade. Do you know what I'm saying? Something yeah. like D Wade, yeah, yeah, yeah. where he wasn't the best shooter, but when he had to, he would take them. And for the most part, he would be pretty damn good at it. Yeah. We're not asking anything crazy of Giannis. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're like, oh, go, go do this. Go d- d- start working on your post fade and start working on your contested three. He just needs to hit the wide open three. Exactly. That's it. And, and you know what? So Jason Kidd and Budenhoser both have that same problem. So that's why I don't want them on the Celtics. Okay? That's why I yeah. don't want them on the Celtics because they teach kids. Uh, not teach kids. <laughs> um, they teach yeah. players either bad things or they don't like have enough urgency to teach them what they need to teach them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so I've also I have after nine years of looking on my phone, <laughs> I have I have found the list from uh, from Woj of the Celtics coaches that Brad is is looking with. Okay. Uh, I think this was they they said they broadened it more, but I think these are the assistants that he's going after. Okay. Like assistant coaches right now that he's looking for, Chauncey Billups, Good. Darvin Ham, Charles Lee. Uh, Mosley Jum Jumaha. I that's a weird lot, first name. Mosley, <laughs> the assistant coach of the, of the Mavericks, and Ime Okuda. Ime Okuda. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I, can't so, I I've heard of most of those. I've never heard of uh, Ime Okuda. I, I, so out of those guys, I feel like Chauncey Billups is still probably the head guy, Absolutely. right? But is there anyone else from that list that in, intrigues you? Because maybe <sighs> I will say I don't. I, I'm not going to make a comment on that because I don't know enough of most of the people you said. That, that's fair. Yeah, They're assistant coaches. Yeah, but. and you know what? Like, most of the time... But like, that is the list. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Most of the time, assistant coaches don't really... They don't really, like, have a lot of info until they're brought into the limelight. So if they are going to, like, bypass Chauncey or if they are going to bypass uh, Sam Cassell, yeah. then I'd like to see, like, what those guys can do. Okay? Like, I, I'll, I'll reserve my judgment for a later day. But I do think, like I said, I'm going to reiterate this before we move on to, like, players. 
I think that Chauncey and Sam Cassell, regardless of who you choose, they're both champions in the league. Okay, yeah. and then Chauncey Billups essentially. They know what it's like to get a ring. Nobody else on this roster does. They're, they've been seasoned NBA veterans who have been in the league 10-plus years, and, and they're very well-respected and have a very like good voice that players care to care about and listen to. Though, if you ha- if you are in prime position for one of those two, and you don't take them, like I said, I'll reserve my judgment for whoever else they bring in, unless it's some D head. Gotta uh, give them a chance. Yeah, yeah. but I'll, I'll give them a chance. But I'll be very tentative to give them a chance. That's fair. So mo- moving on from coaches, I feel like we got coaches down pretty much on the same link: Chauncey Billups or Sam Cassell. And I want Kevin Garnett. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, Kevin Garnett is my, yeah, is right. my fantasy he would He would be my number one if he was on the list, but he's not. So moving from, from coaches to players, it came out, uh, I think it, it was a couple of days ago. My timetable's kind of messed up. But I know it was said that the Celtics and Kevin Wa- uh, Kemba Walker, excuse me, are <laughs> quote-unquote looking for a breakup. Mm-hmm. And where where would be a good trade spot for Kemba? Because he's going to have to be traded. He's on a I mean, four-year deal. A good trade spot for Kemba would be the Dallas Mavericks. That's not bad. For, for what? For Kristaps. Bad contract for bad contract. <laughs> you know what? Maybe they don't Underpor- do it. Underperforming player for underperforming <laughs> yep, player. You know what? They might not do it straight up. You might have to throw in a couple draft picks or some young players. Yeah. Don't touch Romeo Langford, please. But, anyway, <laughs> but, but, okay, I definitely think that, I mean, between Kemba and Kristaps, like you said, they both are underperforming players. But who has the most upside? Poor, yeah, Porzingis. Kristaps without a doubt. But I'm I'm, s- I'm sick and tired of the the who has more potential thing because there are too many young players on the Celtics team and it showed in the playoffs and it showed all season long. We have too many rookies. We went into 2020 with five rookies and then we went into this year with two more. And for some reason, we're not trading our. Our picks, but I think there's way too many young players on this team. Aside from Kemba Walker, who I think needs to be moved in general, and pr- probably I think Jalen Brown goes to soft season too. It was one of my hot takes, but this team is gonna get blown up, and I I truly believe that that is gonna happen. So for well, actually, before we actually dive like any further into the players, I want I want to say this, and I want to get your take. We see that Brad Stevens obviously like now runs the show. Yes. Okay. I think that this is going to be like the perfect indication, like some of the first moves that he makes of what he thinks of Danny's team. Yes. Because right now he's inheriting. That's true. I've, I haven't even thought about that yeah. actually. Yeah. So think about like what what he is inheriting is like a Danny Ainge like constructed team. I think okay. Brown will be more aggressive. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how many rumors did we hear? Paul George, Kawhi, oh my Jimmy God, Butler. So many. I feel like that was Brad wanting a guy and Danny going, oh, like we. But what what about? Like Jalen Brown, and obviously Jalen Brown's a great player, and you know maybe it was the right move then. But I think that Brad is going to take more more of an aggressive approach to yeah, and, to making basketball moves. But you know what? Like I, I understand that a big complaint of ours has been to just kind of hoard our draft picks. Yeah. But I'm thinking this like right. It's made sense sometimes. Yeah, but I'm I'm thinking of this right now. Think of everyone that we've gotten. Like, from the outside, like, I'd say with the exception of Isaiah Thomas, okay? Yeah. Uh, Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. Kemba Walker, yeah. Al Horford, Jason Tate. Gordon Hayward. Well, uh, Gordon Al Horford Hayward. came before, right? Because he had a year with Isaiah Thomas. No, oh, yes, but I, I'm, I'm he just was talking, a free agent. I'm just talking about oh, and, premium, okay, all right, my in bad. general premium yeah, free yeah, agents that going. we've signed, okay? Yeah. Those four, like um, Kyrie, uh, Kemba, Al Horford, and Gordon Hayward, 
all eventually we not even ha- like we haven't gotten anything for them other than yeah. uh, the other than the draft comp. But what was it? The salary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Gordon just, Hayward? It's pretty much just the cap hit. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, which is pretty much cap like money. Yeah. Okay, we've got nothing but money. <laughs> I, I will I will say sports. I don't blame the Al Horford one because there was no shot we were paying an Al Horford an old Al Horford that much money. I okay, it, yeah. It wasn't I don't blame Al Horford. For Hayward, we should have gotten something back straight up. Because there we was there was a Miles trade. I was gonna say the Indiana trade, and then we wanted we got greedy. And we wanted Oladipo because that's how Danny likes to make trades. Yeah. He he likes to be the undisputed winner every single time. And, and so you, it's, like, you it's have hard. to give to get, you know. But if, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like no player who has come here from the outside. Okay, we have great players. We have JB. We have JT. We drafted them. Yeah. No free agent has ever really wanted to come here. And stay here and make this their home. The I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Kevin Garnett. I, I don't. I don't well, know why. I don't know what it is Danny, with Boston. I think it was Danny Ainge. It, it could be, but it, that has been a, a recurring theme in Boston. Is for some reason players don't want to be here, which is weird because I, players want to be in LA and they don't. They don't mind being in New York when they're there because well, it's a big market. Dude. But the Celtics are also a big market. We're not but a small market they, team. We're not a small market by any means. But I mean, we don't really hold a candle. To New York, to Miami, to Los Angeles. It's, it's all right. First Brooklyn. of all, it's the cold weather, right? Boston is not, but Boston isn't like glare. Like New York is like this big and like beautiful city, and it's it's you know what I mean. New York is an attraction, or, yeah, where Boston is less of an attraction. Philadelphia to some degree too. Yeah. Know? I guess. To some degree. I, I think Philly and Boston are on the same playing field yeah. as no, far no, as free I, I agree, go. but I, they, they also deserve to get brought up, too. Yeah. So it could it could be a Danny thing. I mean, I'd love if it was a Danny thing, and now it's it's resolved. Because we saw, like, we wanted to make a push at Anthony Davis. Yeah. And his, his uh, what was it? It was either Rich Paul or his dad told Rich Paul, I no. he will not play for the Celtics. He will sit out. He will not play the season, and he'll be a free agent and then go do, to LA. Do you know why? I don't. I actually don't. The reason why was because of how we treated Isaiah Thomas. And I, you know what? I don't blame him for that. No. Because how why. how we treated Isaiah was was filthy. First of all, well, was it a good trade? Yeah. But I mean, there was a lot of risk from that trade. We knew that this was going to happen. And also, every player that's been here since has been mentioned in trade rumors. There was Kyrie trade rumors. There's been Al Horford trade rumors. Jalen Brown, Kemba was mentioned in them. Tatum's kind of been the only one who's been safe, but. Yeah. It's it's insane. And, and you know something too, like the players talk, okay. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, a lot of you guys might be listening to this and saying, "Oh wait, but Danny is gone. So what's the issue here? You know, it's a new regime." I mean, it is, but it isn't because listen, Brad Stevens was also Danny Ainge's hire. Yeah. Okay. And aren't Danny Ainge's kids still within the organization? I I actually don't know. So so they, they Danny Ainge, regardless, I think still has some pull on what's going on. Yeah. Okay, the players talk, and I think, like, recently, I mean, I wouldn't say before, but, like, with the whole thing with social media and a lot of the players becoming buddy-buddy at, like, in the last decade or so, the players talk, okay? And yeah. if you're telling me, do you really think that Kyrie is just sitting back and just, like, saying to everyone, hey, you want to go to Boston? Sure, go ahead, go to Boston. Yeah. Or do you say, like, just say a, it's not. a good player, like, we'll bring up Vucevic or Oladipo. Yeah. They, they want to come to Boston? Screw that. Don't go to Boston. You think yeah. Kyrie is not in their ear? I, he definitely is. And th- that was, again, one of the risks that came with that Isaiah Thomas trade. If that was going to work, 
Kyrie had to retire here. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had to. Because when you give up someone like Isaiah Thomas, who literally would have stayed in Boston his entire Be career. Yeah, when you give up a guy like that for Kyrie Irving, who didn't really have a lot of success here, and also bad enough the organization towards the end of his, his tenure in Boston. It's, and don't even get me started on what happened last month. Yeah, it, exactly. All, all of that stuff. And now Boston, I mean, like, look, Boston in general hasn't had the most glamorous like oh come to boston especially you know especially with with what Kyrie has has said didn't help either yeah. but it's it none of that stuff is is helping us at all yeah and you're already at a disadvantage being in boston and trying to get free agents to come here and then you make a trade like that and then the guy who was made in the trade and isaiah thomas doesn't even want to doesn't he doesn't even want the tribute video it's it's rough it is rough, and, and you know, um, I, I definitely think that it is going to be rough trying to get free agents to come here. So that's why I think we need to either like this season. Uh, I'll transition. To this could be a bit. step in the right direction. Yes, with, with Brad. Yeah, so we'll see. But um, I definitely think that we definitely need to get rid of Kemba and Kemba for Porzingis. Like we'll see, like if that ever happens. But if not, then who knows? Okay, maybe it'll just be a salary dump. You know, we might have to give up a draft pick. <laughs> For, like, teams to take on Kemba's contract, okay? Pretty but much. That's I, probably what's going to have to happen. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? You look at Damian Lillard here. He's also, like, the Celtics have been rumored to be in the works for a Damian Lillard trade. Like, not the, like, the premier team, but they're in the mix, okay? Do you, I, I will say the Dame trade is the I don't want the Celtics to go get a point guard. I don't. The, the whole scoring threat point guard experiment has not worked out. We were from Isaiah to Kyrie to Kemba. It hasn't worked. It's taken away shots from the wings. And when they don't take away shots from the wings, uh, the scoring point guard plays bad. Shocking. There's too many mouths to feed. So I, I, I'm done with the, the whole scoring so point guard. you don't guard. want Dame? Well, Dame is the one exception. You want Dame? I, yes. I don't. He's the second best point guard in the league. Stop it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Come on. I don't really? want Damian Lillard. That would, see, that's insane. For, let me finish. Not, okay. Second best point guard in the league. That is the exception. Other than that, I want a big man. The Celtics have not had a solid big man in forever. And I think that that is what a team can thrive off of. Especially with the Celtics, if you have a, a really good center to, okay. to bring the defensive presence because our centers have been lackluster amir johnson uh, al horford who, no, who was good horford al, al was okay yeah he, he was good horford was good but he he was an undersized center he was a power forward that we made play center it worked out but after that you have like tristan thompson and but tristan, Tom, tristan thompson is solid though and this can't uh, didn't fit in this but system. i'm, I'm looking for a, like a Okay, if we're talking tiers, Tristan Thompson is like a C-tier center, okay, in my fine. opinion. Average. Uh, average. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to go in the B and A tier for a center. Flip that that Kemba contract. I haven't really thought about it more, but I just want a solid big fan. Maybe yeah. Porzingis. Who knows? Maybe. But... So, I definitely think that, first of all, we need to focus. I don't want Damian Lillard because, like you said, it takes – like, they'll have two very, very ball-dominant players – Okay, JT. He's my one and, exception. And, my Dam one exception. and Damian Lillard. Okay, and one thing I want to bring up about Brad Stevens, even though he is no longer the coach, okay, Brad Stevens has a reputation, a very good reputation, of getting, like, scrappy point guards, of getting guys who really weren't didn't have a big name for themselves, and he really elevates them and gets the most out of them. So why would you trade a premium for that position? Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but, but you want Damian Lillard. So Dame is the one exception. 
it, the two point. All right, Steph is never gonna get traded here, right? But those are the two guys where I'm like, yeah, go go get him. Move everything else to get Damon. Move Jalen. Move Kemba. Get anything to get Jalen or uh, sorry, Jason and Dame on the same team. So, but but would that jeopardize the depth? Would that jeopardize? The depth of the team and something, and we didn't really have a lot of it anyways, but the little bit of it that we did have, I mean, you have JT and Dame. Well, if we're flipping the Brown contract, too. But the, okay. I mean, we can, we can oh, get, I get more. Yeah. I, no, I understand, but what, yeah. I, but what I'm saying is, first of all, Damian Lillard is getting clo- paid close to $60 million. Like, he got the super max. He did. Okay, he did. so you'd have to flip, like, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and maybe someone else. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, don't think... I think it's that that would be worth it. I will say for Dame, if it was for like I don't know, like who's who's a, who's a point guard that's good, like CP3. Westbrook, CP three. Yeah, ne- neither of those guys. I'd uh, like. You're yeah. really asking me to name a point guard. <laughs> like, How'd you think that was gonna? That's say? true. That's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, I, I would love to see either depth or Dame Lillard. I can see why they don't want Dame, and it's probably not gonna happen anyway. So it's. I, I just don't think it'd be a good fit, and you know what. Maybe if we brought in Chauncey or one of these players, like go circling back to the coach real quick, maybe it would they would at least respect him. And but I'm just saying, like on the floor, like I don't think it would be good. Like coach, like the, they would definitely listen to the coach, but on the floor, I don't think it's a good fit. Yeah. So I think what we need to do as the Celtics, like this season, I think we just need to get role players. Okay, I mean we need to trade. We need to trade Kemba. We need to trade. Sorry, we'll cover your ears. We need to trade Marcus Smart. Okay, I'm sorry. He's not. He, he, his ego. It is might just, be time. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, it I, might I, be I, time. I didn't, I didn't think you'd give him that easily. Well, look, <laughs> I, I'd love to keep Marcus here, but it, I, I think this team needs a blow up. And if Marcus Smart needs to be a part of it, I don't think Brad's gonna do it. So he'll, he'll be kicking his feet and he'll be like stomping on the floor, like whining. Yeah. <laughs> but Will will be very begrudgingly Marcus Smart. <laughs> So I definitely think that a lot, like some players that have really gone under the radar here, we need to get people who haven't, I would say per se, underachieved, but players that have been a little overlooked. Okay, and and I think that if you're able to do that and put them in a solid role, then I definitely think that that would make up, and you would get cheap contracts for players who have underperformed. Take a little bit like the Patriots motto. Do you know what I'm trying to say there? Yeah. Like cheap, like I said, cheap players who have either underperformed. Who have, or have not gotten enough attention. The green grind, guys. First off, first off, TJ McConnell. <laughs> Charts. Or Gino's about to name all of his favorite players to come on the Celtics. <laughs> first of all, I would love TJ McConnell because literally, if you get TJ and then have Peyton Pritchard off the bench, you essentially have like the same player. You're not losing anything there, okay? Yeah. You ha- at the point guard position, you would have a constant like scrapper. It would be constant aggravation. And people who really just no longer uh, – the, the point guards will just get aggravated after a while, and it'll cause foul trouble, okay? That'll cause, like, a lot of uh, offensive fouls because they'll, they'll uh, take uh, charges. Uh, and so that would be awesome if we could get McConnell, okay? Malik Monk. Okay, I, I can respect Malik Monk. Okay, Malik Monk. That, that's a nice, like, grit and grind guy. Yeah, and, and, but, and another thing about Malik Monk. High flyer. He's a 6'8 shooting guard, and he, yeah. he's athletic, and he can shoot. Okay, and towards the end of last year, he started to come along. And I don't think a lot of people really paid attention because, I mean, LaMelo Ball, like, Terry Rozier, and Devon. Bridges! Yeah. <laughs> oh! Terry! Oh, did we need? 
I love the Charlotte Hornets announcer. Yeah. Sorry. The, the, the amount of Instagram DMs I get with videos of that guy. I love from Will. And for the record, I loved them before it was cool, before it was trendy, and you know that too. I know. So, hey, I, I, I know I've that. been a fan of before all the memes started. I was like, the Charlotte Hornets announcer is crazy because I sent the first video I ever sent was uh, Clay Thompson, uh, or no, it was. It was a video with Clay Thompson in it. It was like the best plays of the year or yeah. whatever. It was like Rogier with Monk. Oh! <laughs> so, I love the Charlotte Hornets announcer. No, He's my favorite. I would love Malik Monk in a Celtics uniform. Me too. Okay, and if you know what, if you're if you somehow some way have to get rid of Peyton Pritchard, and that's just another like hypothetical. I'd say, Brady Nicholson's gonna kill you. I'm sorry, Brady Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, go screw yourself after the Mag Jones take. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I don't care true. what you have to think anymore. Hey, uh, it was good clicks. It was good clicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, get Ricky Rubio. Get a facilitator. I, yeah. You know? Get, yeah. Get, get like a facilitator who knows his role, who's going to be able to say, hey, JT, this is your team. Okay, like I'll be a veteran, like a, like a quiet spoken veteran leader. So you're not losing a lot in the leadership department. Okay, but you're gaining something in terms of going from somebody who you had to pay big dollars to in Kemba Walker to somebody you have to pay like pretty cheap money to for somebody who knows their role. Does that make sense? Yeah. If if Rondo is available, would you would you take Rondo coming back to Boston? Uh yeah. 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 I, I would. The, too. the the only thing is though, I I would be I kind of tentatively say yeah, because I, I don't worry. Like I understand that playoff Rondo is insane. Playoff it, Rondo. It, it also nuts. does matter to me. The the regular season matters to me. You know. And he doesn't really. I wouldn't say he doesn't try, but he doesn't. Yeah. Let's be honest. He doesn't really give us all. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's I. It's definitely a huge gap between, you know, regular season Rondo and playoff Rondo. But I think that he he is a leader. He's a veteran. He's won mm-hmm. two championships, and I I think you know he. I think like having veterans is a big part of the Celtics. Yeah. Off season. And how you need them. We had none. Oh, we had literally none. Sorry, I was like, we had none this season. It was all young players. Yeah. Get them out of here. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Get Grant Williams out. Get Semi Ojale out. Yep. Get Tremont Waters out. Get Carson, Carson Edwards. Edwards out. Okay. Get Langford out too. No, I know. I know no, you like Langford. No. He's gotta Lang- go, Gino. Langford, Jesus Christ, Romeo Langford. <laughs> you keep at all costs. That man's gonna be a future MVP of the league. Oh I'm my! Just I, was, I, I was like, I was about to go to class. Romeo Langford. <laughs> so, um, really quick, one more. Solomon Hill. Do you know who that is? I know Solomon Hill. Solomon what is he? Hill. Where is he playing now? He's playing for the Heat now. Heat, okay. Solomon Hill, he's uh, like a veteran leader like Jared Dudley. Don't, okay. <laughs> hey, you laugh. You laugh. I do. Never underestimate the power of a guy like Jared Dudley no. to keep the morale high in the locker room. Okay? Oh Solomon Hill, he's just like what Udonis That man won a ring with the Lakers. Unfortunately, the leader of the Miami Heat, Udonis Haslam, is not available. Oh my God, okay? Udonis. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think if you were just to get I do love Malik Monk, TJ McConnell, Ricky Rubio, and Solomon Hill, I mean, and, and dump off lots of the young guys and improve in the draft, and because Neesmith, I think, will develop. We just need depth. Yeah, because Neesmith, I think, will continue to develop. I think that's good. And then maybe you get Chris Stapps, or, or you get another big man in the draft. You, you know, I, I yeah. honestly think that... You're not going to be a championship contender next team, but I definitely think you'll be a hell of a lot more respectable with Chauncey and those players that I listed. We need Grant Williams off this team. He's a Walmart <laughs> Draymond Green. No, no, and I, I don't he's even a Savers Draymond Green. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a Walmart Draymond Green. He's a Savers. He's a Savers. 
Wait, he's he's a local corner shop. Yeah, is there, is there anything worse than Savers? <laughs> he's a homeless Draymond Green. He's a homeless. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, welcome back to Conti and Nick, and we right now have a very very special guest for us: the Patriots Radio Network play-by-play announcer on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Bob Sosi. This man has been in the business since 1989, and he is dubbed, and well-deservedly so, as the voice of the New England Patriots. Bob, how are we doing today? Well, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty old right now. I really appreciate the kind <laughs> words and that introduction, but you reminded me <laughs> of when I graduated from college and <laughs> started chasing a dream professionally. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm very thankful that I realized it, you know, landing in the NFL with the Patriots. But uh, it has been a long road, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it just goes to show that longevity is awesome, and you've been doing this at a high level for a long time. Well, thanks so much, and, and thanks for having me uh, on the podcast today. I look forward to chatting however long we go. Thank you very much, yeah, and once again, thank you for being here. It does mean a lot. So, um, real quick, uh, first question just to start this off. Um, what made you uh, get into broadcasting? Like, what was the inspiration? Well, speaking of long time, I first dreamed of being a broadcaster when I was around 11 or 12 years old, playing Little League Baseball in my hometown of Auburn, New York. It's right in the middle of the state in the Finger Lakes region. I was a kid who, at the age of three, four, uh, loved baseball first and then all sports. You know, As soon as I you know, started watching games and listening to games, and then when I could read about games... I was in love. It was something that I, I, I wanted to do all the time, play sports, watch sports, and eventually talk sports. And when I was in Little League, I was fortunate enough to be in a, in a town that had a really good uh, athletic complex where you know, the games were held with a press box and lights, and that meant doubleheaders. And it was run by a group of people that really were invested in the community and, and cared about kids in general, including the commissioner of the Little League in my hometown, a gentleman by the name of Carl Festa, who was a police officer by day and at night ran Little League Baseball. And again, he really was involved in the lives of a lot of the community's youth. And so people around this small town knew that I wanted to be a broadcaster and they probably had heard some of my work (laughs) playing wiffle ball in the backyard or, or practicing games. And Mr. Festa gave me an opportunity to come up in the press box when I wasn't playing games and sit next to the official scorekeeper, who was also the public address announcer, and occasionally announce batters' names. So I would play a game at 6, and then at 7.30 in my uniform, I'd trek upstairs and help the PA announcer. If I was playing a game at 7.30 before I warmed up, I hung around early and did some of the announcing. And... You know, that only fueled the dream even more. And really from that point on, whether I was in my basement at home watching games, pretending I was a broadcaster, or eventually went out to college and then started working professionally, it was the one professional dream that I always, you know, held uh, to my heart and, you know, pursued. There were times along the way as I bounced around minor league baseball in particular and, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in various leagues around the country and, and often wondering whether I could ever really get to where I wanted to go, there were moments when I thought about giving up that dream. But again, it's something that goes back to a very young age. And it wasn't only that commissioner of the Little League Baseball program who encouraged me. At every step along the way, 
guys and probably like yourselves, there were other people who maybe saw some talent or at least saw passion and encouraged me to keep chasing that dream. And I can't tell you how many professional broadcasters, people who were where I wanted to be, uh, who took time and listened to my work and offered constructive criticism to help me get to where I, I am today. But it was a long road. And as I said, I spent a lot of time in minor league baseball over 20 years, started out in uh, actually Rochester, New York was my first professional broadcasting job. And I landed that out of the University of Dayton following some internships behind the scenes in public relations, one of them with the Cincinnati Reds and another at the University of North Carolina in the athletic department there. And so I used those skills as someone who could uh, create publications and write press releases and compile stats and game notes to land a job as a glorified intern in Rochester, New York with the AAA Red Wings. At the time, very young and very talented broadcaster Josh Lewin who has gone on to great things, including a, a couple of years ago filling in for the Red Sox on their broadcast. But he's he's had a great career in broadcasting with Fox Sports and Major League Baseball teams and in the NFL as the former voice of the San Diego Chargers before they moved to L.A. Wow. Josh is now currently the voice of UCLA. He, he was my partner uh, for home games. He, he was the full-time announcer. And it just so happened that when I started working for the Rochester Red Wings, they needed someone to help him out for three innings a game on home broadcasts. So that's how I got my foot in the door, and I did that for a couple of years, and, and then I went to Peoria, Illinois, and eventually to Salisbury, Maryland, on the eastern shore of Maryland. And it was during that experience I got my foot in the door at the U.S. Naval Academy, first as a fill-in on their basketball broadcasts, and then for 16 years, as things worked out well, I called basketball and football. And, and very quickly as part of this long story, when I was at Navy, again, I was primarily the basketball announcer initially. But during the 1997 season, as the, as the football pregame host and halftime host, I got the chance to move over to do play-by-play -play because the broadcaster at the time was a Washington-based sports anchor on television, and he was hired by the Washington Wizards to be their TV voice, Steve Buckhans. That created the opening of the play-by-play -play chair, and I moved into that spot and again continued to call Navy football from 1997 through 2012 and during that time started freelancing with some college basketball work on television and, and called some other sports continued to network and reach out to broadcasters who I admired and respected and eventually met my now wife uh, who was from the Boston area she was being educated in Baltimore finishing up her education in Baltimore when we met uh, we got serious we got engaged she started to put out feelers for her job and uh, we talked about moving to Boston potentially and I always wanted to live in either Boston or New York and I said you know I, I've, I've been here for a long time if I can continue to do what I do with Navy I can go there be based out of Boston and start knocking on doors and that's what happened I, I called Navy games for five years traveling back and forth between Boston and uh, Annapolis knocked on doors and luckily for me the program director at 95 the sports hub opened his shortly after this uh, the station launched in 2009 and i went in met with him and the assistant program director there were mike thomas and uh, rick radzik respectively i left a cd with samples of my football play-by-play -play on it and uh, three years later when gil santos retired they reached out to me uh, and uh, asked for more work they wanted to hear more of my work they were impressed by what they heard Again, for three years, I didn't hear from them, but 
they kept me in mind. And when Gil retired, I had a chance to interview for the Patriots job. And uh, there are a lot of other stops along the way in between. But again, long career, long road to get to the NFL, and a long story to tell with it. Wow, that's that's awesome. I really, uh, I really respect how you have this passion for uh, for sports in general, and, and you just kind of ran with it and uh, had that you know take you as far as you know you wanted. That's really awesome. Yeah, you know, and again, it was nurtured by a lot of different people. I think that, you know, that's one of the things that I always try to be mindful of. And and sometimes, you know, I I lose sight of that, unfortunately, or at least I can't pay it forward all the time or as much as I would like to. I I, I try to because so many people did the same for me. And there were so many guys along the way uh, that were outstanding some of the best in the business who were accessible and again we're kind enough to listen to some tapes when i'm and i say tapes i'm going back to cassettes when i started my career your games were recorded on audio cassettes so i would send out cassettes and then eventually graduated to cds and then mp3 files and now of course everybody has a resume there they could just you know, create uh, a link on a cell phone and and, and uh, text it to someone to hear their broadcast so i think you know it's it, it, it is a byproduct of that passion that I had and that desire to chase it, but it gets owed largely to so many other people. That's awesome. Yeah. I re- really do respect that journey. And I, I just personally remember me as a kid and I was watching 98.5 and for a bit, you had a segment on Felgren Maz called Bob Sosie's hot takes. <laughs> and I always thought that was just such like a funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> I used to think it was a really painful thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I laughed at your expense. It's it's funny. My first appearance on 95 the Sports Hub was with Falgren and Maz on uh, a radio spot. I was in Buffalo calling a, a doubleheader between the Buffalo Bisons and the Pawtucket Red Sox. I just landed the Paw Sox job uh, before being hired by 95 to call the Patriots. And so they had uh, uh, the, the press release sent out in the morning, the day of the draft. 2013 and I was asked to go on Falcon and Mass. Now I listened to those guys and I should have had a better idea of what I was going to be asked. But right off the bat, Mike Felger says, All right, so see, we'll get to the broadcasting thing later. What are the Patriots going to do with pick number 29 tonight? And <laughs> <laughs> I, I was ready to like, tell my life story and you know, talk with a lot of platitudes and, and tell everyone how thrilled I was to be the voice of the Patriots, or at least to follow the voice of the Patriots, Bill Santos, and try to you know, <laughs> earn the job and earn their, their respect. And immediately, I think I, uh, whatever little credibility I had as somebody who was really an unknown in, in, in this market, I mean, I, 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 I wasted that when i said to felger i said mike you're i'm, I'm really the last guy to answer that question i could, could be the worst i couldn't have responded in a, in a worse way um <laughs> but I, I over time I, I think i got better at it we still do the spots it's still a lot of fun uh you know I'm, I, I really appreciate what they do what everybody else does at the station as sports radio talk uh, sports talk radio hosts but it's different from what i do and I really appreciate it because, you know, the station has done so well in great part because of Falker and Maz and Zolak and Bertrand and Toucher and Rich and Adam Jones and Christian Arkan and everybody else who preceded them and accompanies them. But for me, you know, I, I love being at the games and I love play-by-play. And as passionate as I am about sports and, and you know, broadcasting, 
I, I, over the years, have become less emotional about you know sports. I'm still emotional about the Patriots and Navy football, and to some degree, uh, when when the Mets are going well, uh, the Mets and even even the Red Sox and, 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 and the other local teams, the Bruins and Celtics, you know, when they're playing games of, of, of real consequence, like in, in the recent playoff series. But I also. You know, have a different perspective in in, 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 in my world than you know, the kind of point of view that a sports talk radio host has to has, have. You know, I'm so grateful for the time I've had, eight seasons now of the Patriots, and, and what I've been able to, to, to broadcast four Super Bowls, three Super Bowl championships. So when they struggle like they did a year ago, particularly in the context of the pandemic and what everybody was going through around the world at that time, you know, I, I, I look at a season like that, and, and, and I'm disappointed, yes. And in the moment, I'm frustrated sometimes in watching those games and calling those games. But then I take a step back and say, you know, I've had, I had it really good. You know, take that season in stride. Of course, if I'm a talk show host, <laughs> that can't be my point of view. Nobody wants to listen to somebody who doesn't have really strong opinions or takes as it were. Uh, but you know, that's that, that that's kind of the genesis of, of the hot takes. It's, it's, it's a joke. They're making fun of me and the lack of hot takes that I bring to their show. Um, so you you've had such a long career uh, broadcasting so many different games. What has been your favorite uh, game that you have? Calder or broadcasted for so far? Okay, I'm going to give you a cliched answer in, in a sense. I love all the games, including preseason games. Yeah. I, I just love being in the booth. I love doing what I do. And, and the fact that I only do football now means that you know, I'm only guaranteed, for example, this year, presuming I stay healthy, knock on wood, 19 games. Or rather, I should say 20 games. Three of the preseason, of course, and then the 17 regular season. Got to be that 17th in the regular season. And I've been so fortunate, of course, to call so many playoff games. But I love all of them. But I, I've said to people over the years when asked that question, as much as I love the Super Bowls and as exciting as they were, you know, there have been so many regular season games and playoff games along with them that have been unforgettable for me. But my two favorite games were in the playoffs. And the latter replaced the former, of course. The first was in 2015, January of 15. It was on the run to Super Bowl 48 in the win over the Seahawks. That divisional playoff win, when the Patriots were behind twice by 14 points to Baltimore, and you know brought out all those crazy formations. Mm -hmm. With yeah, Dave Moran as the ineligible, you know, number thirty-four <laughs> out there, and the Patriots came back and won, and uh, yeah, Edelman threw the touchdown pass to Amendola, and eventually Brady uh, made a perfect throw to Brandon LaFell for the yep, game-winning yeah. touchdown. <laughs> but that was my favorite game. Just the emotional swings in that game, and the excitement of that game, is good. And we had all that, and, and of course, all the Super Bowl wins, particularly forty-eight and fifty-one. But that—that that was my favorite game to call until the AFC Championship championship game when the Patriots got to Super Bowl 53 and they had to go on the road to Kansas City and win it in overtime. Just to go on the road and, you know, I'm not playing obviously, you know, and, and, and yet I feel that crowd and the hostility. And oh, also, yeah. you know, you go into the stadium on the team buses and everybody's in red and gold. Generally with the Patriots, when you travel, you see a lot of red, white, and blue. And you hear Patriots fans. A couple of places, though, are exceptions. 
and certainly one of them is Kansas City, and in particular the AFC Championship. And there were a sprinkling of Patriots fans, but yeah, everybody was red and, and gold for the most part. And it's a loud stadium, the loudest venue in the NFL, along with perhaps Safeco, uh, not Safeco, but uh, the, the home right next door of uh, the Seahawks, used to be Questfield. And then the name escapes me for the moment today. So, you know, the 12th man in Seattle, the Chiefs fans, the Patriots had, had beaten them, of course, uh, earlier uh, in the season. The homes and, and the Seahawks were so high-powered. People in Kansas City thought, there's no way we're going to lose this game. And I remember I was in, <laughs> I was in the restroom. I won't tell you all the details. But I'm in the restroom, and I'm, I'm in a situation where I have time to listen to the piped-in pre-game show from from the Chiefs radio, playing on the auxiliary speakers, the, the Chiefs radio network. And I was sitting there listening to the, the host and the co-host, a former Chiefs player. And they were going through this this laundry list of all the reasons why the Chiefs <laughs> were, were almost guaranteed to win. And I, I, I got out of there and I, re, you know, I did what I had to do. And I, I wa- walked, into, uh, uh, walked into the press box and I ran into our producer. And I said, you know, I just listened to the Chiefs pregame show, and the Patriots have no chance to win this game. And I, you know, saying it sarcastically, jokingly. And that, that's so that really, you know, that was such a gratifying experience for the Pats to win that game, particularly, you know, it was all, again, all those crazy swings in that game. The ball off the hands of Gronk that was intercepted, but nullified because of the D Ford offsides. And then to go back and forth, to go ahead right before regulation ended, but only to see the Chiefs come back and tie it up. And then, of course, to get into overtime and then to drive down. And, and when Rex Burkhead you know, ran it in for that game-winning touchdown. And then we got to ride home on a happy plane as opposed to, you know, the, the, the journey back after a loss, particularly in a season-ending game, because we've done that twice before in Denver. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, an incre- it's an incredible experience. Uh, you know, there, there's, there, it's, it's hard to explain to people. The, the, the darkness and the silence, uh, whether I was traveling with Navy back in the day or with the Patriots, particularly after, you know, a playoff game, uh, it's such a contrast. There's, it's hard to really describe, you know, what it's like on that, that losing journey back. But when you win, of course, it is the exact opposite. So that was such an incredible feeling. <laughs> yeah. And I was also through an awareness that, you know, the, the Patriots were had won now, uh, you know, two of the last three. They were bound to win a fourth Super Bowl championship in five years. But, you know, there was a sense that, hey, uh, I'm not sure how long Tom Brady's going to be the quarterback. You know, I'm not sure how long they're going to keep this run together. You expect them to, but, you know, a lot of questions were creeping in even at that point when they beat the Los Angeles Rams. Would Gronk retire? So that's my favorite game. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, one that is those are two excellent games that – I definitely are. That's definitely in my mind forever. And I think a really underrated one is um, 2013 against the New Orleans Saints when Tom Brady. Everyone thought it was over, and Tom and Tom Brady led that two-minute drill and threw that ball in the corner of the end zone to Kembrell Tompkins, and the crowd went nuts. And my partner (laughs) had a line that will live uh, in infamy, if you will. Uh, Show ponies guy. Show pony, unicorns, show ponies, and where's the beef? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a call that's been replayed a lot. I, I cringe when I hear my part of it, though. Yeah, I, I just I, I was in my fifth or sixth game, I think, as a Patriots broadcaster. 
and you know everybody around the country is hearing this call because of you know Zoe's reaction to it. And all I can hear is me screaming, Ken Brill Tompkins! So, yeah, it was an incredible game. And, and what made it, I think, so is the fact that the Patriots kind of got several last chances in that game, if you recall. Yeah. The lineup that was really beat up. They, they lost Gerard Mayo, I believe, in that game with a season-ending injury. And a couple of other guys go down on defense that really depleted them by the time they got to the playoffs, along with some of the injuries they had as well um, you know at, at other spots but on offense you know they had a they had a makeshift lineup that included uh, I think uh, not only Tompkins a rookie free agent Aaron Dobson had Aaron Dobson mm-hmm. and I don't know if Austin Collie was on the team at that point I don't think so but I, nonetheless you had, you had a couple of guys like that and, and Michael Holm and Alan Newey was a primary target uh, as a tight end in that game, too, I think, for the Patriots. So, you know, I had a, Brady had an engineer, engineer this comeback, and I got a couple of late possessions, and you think, okay, this is this is the, this is their two-minute drive. they got to score on this drive. And I think they, they ended up uh, punting one away, and then they remarkably got another chance, and Brady threw an interception. And then you think, okay, the game's over. But then the Patriots somehow got the ball back from the Saints in part because of I think, some of the play calling and, and what happened on that final Saints series. And, of course, Brady goes downfield with no timeouts left. And he's working with uh, two rookies, including Dawson and Kenwell Tompkins. And I can't recall whether Josh Boyce, a third rookie, was on the field on that drive or not. But either way, you know, it was an incredible finish. It's the last play of the game. He connects to Tompkins. And then, of course, it's such a great sports day in Boston. But later, David Ortiz hits a grand slam and a playoff comeback for the Red Sox. Uh, but that, that season, several games uh, that were phenomenal. Twenty-four nothing, and they trailed the Broncos on Sunday Night Football. A windy, cold night at Gillette Stadium, and they came back and won that game when the Broncos misplayed a punt, and the Patriots recovered a ball that hit off the one of the Broncos blockers in front of Wes Welker, and the Patriots got a field goal from Stephen Gostkowski late in that overtime. There was just, you know a couple of other games that came back and won on a Gostkowski field goal against Houston in Houston, and then Gostkowski helped to recover an onside kick to come back from two scores yep. down against the Cleveland Browns at home. So yeah, yeah. That, that, but that was my first season, and uh, it was full of so many moments like that, including frankly the season opener in Buffalo. Pats were down by two scores, and, and they won that one on the Gostkowski field goal. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, just a plethora of just fantastic games over the years, especially over the last decade, I would say. So moving on uh, to our last question, Bob. Um, so in all of the sports players that you've seen, whether it be any sport, um, like football, basketball, or uh, like you said, baseball occasionally, whether it be New York or Boston, who is your favorite sports athlete of all time? Well, I think I, I break it down differently. Uh, you know, I, I look at it differently when I'm around a team and the athletes, the people that play the games. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I had favorite athletes. I think my first was Tom Stever. He was my first sports hero, if you will. I guess I said earlier, I grew up as a Mets fan primarily, um, you know, as a three or four-year-old because I, I was okay. – in upstate New York, the Mets were on cable television all the time. And, you know, Tom Seaver was my favorite player. In fact, at that age, I had a next-door neighbor who went to Cooperstown, and, and my mom asked him to, to buy 
uh, Tom Seaver uniform. She gave him money. It was probably one of the first replica uniforms that were sold at the time. And it was this flannel Tom Seaver New York Mets uniform. I still have it actually in my office here. Wow. So he was the first. And as the years went on, I had different favorite athletes. But my criteria kind of changed the way I judged judged them. I I eventually, I started to really develop admiration for athletes off the field more so than, or at least as much as what they could do on the field. And you know, I think about like a guy like John Paxson, for example, that name may not mean much to people here, but you know, I was a huge Notre Dame basketball fan too growing up. And John Paxson was a, a very good basketball player. Of course, went on to the NBA with the Spurs and the Bulls and later worked for the Bulls. But I remember reading profiles of him and he was an academic all American and, you know, somebody that, had a lot of values that I'm sure my mom and dad were happy I was hoping to emulate, if not doing it. Uh, so I actually wrote him a letter when he was in college. Oh wow! And and he wrote me back. <laughs> you know, he he actually wrote me. I still have that I, somewhere in a scrapbook. He he wrote me back on a small, you know, a uh, little notepad, yellow notepad with the, the blue lines. Oh yeah, I remember those. And I think he, and I think he wrote it in pencil, <laughs> frankly. And I, and, and uh, you know, the, like that was such a meaningful moment. So guys like you know him uh, in in baseball, you know. Dale Murphy was the clean-cut face of the Atlanta Braves, and you know, it was at a time when he was an MVP. Not that I was a Braves fan, but I went to Philadelphia uh, once, and uh, we stayed at the, the Braves hotels on a, business, a neighbor's business trip, and his son was my best friend, so he took us down to Philadelphia to see uh, you know, the Phillies play the Braves. And we were in the lobby of the hotel and getting autographs, and I remember I would, I would always say, may I have your autograph, please? And I remember Dale Murphy... You know, who I, who I sort I sort of liked saying, "Hey, you know, guys, we finally got a polite one," and that that registered with me. There's so many moments like that in my youth, and I thought, "You know, wow, you know, th- that's really important to say, may and please and be polite." And you know, and I started to learn more about Dan Murphy, and, and, and that's how he was, of course. So, you know, fast forwarding through the years, for me, like with the Patriots, which is probably what anybody listening to this, if they're still listening, cares about. You know, I I look at a lot of the guys, more so off the field, certainly Tom Brady, you know, to call Rob Gronkowski, uh, more recently with Julian Edelman's retirement, of course, he's been in the news. But there have been so many guys in, in, in that locker room. And, and I think, you know, with each of them, you, you hear people talk about them off the field. We see things about them off the field, how, how kind, you know, they are and how much a Gronk has done in the community, for example. He won the Ron Burton Community Service Award several years ago. And, you know, Brady is a, 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 not that I know him well, a really nice guy. And I appreciate that as much as I do what he did on the field. I know that sounds crazy to people and it's hard to believe, but, you know, because I, I, I've been lucky enough to call those Super Bowl wins thanks so much to him and what he did to lead the Patriots, you know, in those games. But, you know, to me, walking through the halls of Gillette Stadium and, you know, here's the greatest football player of all time who looks you in the eye and says, hey, Bob. And then you notice that he's saying it to, you know, the person who's cleaning up the cafeteria in that same hallway. You know, those are the things that register with me. So there are a lot of guys that I've been fortunate now, there's so many players at Navy that I worked with who've gone on to incredible things, you know that I that I admire and really respect. Uh, with the, with the Pats, you know, we're talking about some of those guys I mentioned, but also 
I think Matthew Slater is right at the top of the list. Devin McCourty, somebody that I truly admire. Those are the kind of people, I think with all of them, that I want my kids to look at. Not that I think athletes should be role models, but those guys are. They are off the field. They are on the field. And, you know, they're the types of people that I really, really have a lot of respect for. Joe Cardona, speaking of Navy and the Patriots, you know, that's Longstapper, who's a, a Navy officer, a Naval officer, currently in the reserves. And, you know, I've gotten to know Joe since his flying days at the Naval Academy. So so I've got a lot of them, you know, again, going back to my youth, uh, to, to present day. I mean, when it comes to appreciating great players, I mean, obviously – appreciating but i don't i still don't think i fully appreciate having the opportunity week in week out to call the greatest quarterback of all time greatest player being coached by the the greatest head coach you know we could say with maybe the greatest tight end in, in gronkowski uh, but you know now that he's a buccaneer he's not here and the Pats are coming <laughs> off that seven and nine season last year <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm starting to more fully appreciate it but uh, that's something that's hard to describe because I, it's hard to picture myself in that position of being, you know, Russ Hodges, the old Giants announcer, yeah. calling Willie Mays, or to think about, you know, the former voice of the Cleveland Browns calling Jim Brown, uh, you know, in hockey calling Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, you know, I, I hear the calls and I see the highlights of those guys. And it's hard to put myself in that that position, you know, with Tom Brady out there on the field. Yeah, that that is absolutely. I mean, the amount of people people you just listed, and just all the people like the great things that they've done, and I, I totally understand like how you would see, and and I completely agree with you that it is definitely what they do off the field that means just as much as what they do on the field. So many great names there, bunch of great names. Uh, well, yeah, th- those are all the uh, the questions that we we had for you. Thank you so much for for coming on and uh, and talking to us, and for all the people listening. Uh, make sure if you're in the the New England area to listen to 98.5 during Patriots games. If you're on the road, you can listen to, to Bob call the games. And again, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking to us. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate the time. I hope we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Bob. Yeah. And anytime you want, please uh, feel free or I'll, I'll ask or whatever you want, Bob, but really your company is welcome anytime. And yeah. we, once again, we really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Bob. Have a good day. Hey, you guys are great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You too. Stay in touch, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Take care. Good luck. And good luck with everything. Yeah. Thank thank you you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much. You got it. You bet, guys. Thank you. All right. So we're back from that. That was amazing. That was a fantastic interview. Once again, shout out to Bob Sosi. We cannot thank him enough for being on here. And 985. This is something that we've been doing for a little over two months. And to have someone the caliber of Bob Sosi on this podcast, it, it truly is. It, it truly is awesome. Yeah, because dude, his his like calls are legendary. Yes. Like to to us, like yeah. watching the Patriots games on your way home from like your football game in youth and on the car ride home. I don't know that that was amazing. Uh, but we're gonna go into our our hot takes uh, of the week. And uh, Gino, you you always got a crazy one. You I'm go gonna first. Let you, you go I'm first. gonna let you lead off. You go first. Okay, so I've. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've said it before, right? But my hot take is Jalen Brown is going to get traded to the West, but I got the team now. Oh, I there you go. It took a couple I, weeks later. I know, right? I've, I didn't think about it, but I think that the trade will end up being Jalen Brown going to the Mavs. 
Dallas. and flipping Porzingis and some other pieces. Maybe we get back some more pieces for Porzingis, and I think maybe Kemba goes somewhere else. Really? So that's that's my hot take. Well, my hot take is in the NBA, and oddly enough, it is about Dallas, the Dallas Mavericks. Ooh, okay. Luka Doncic is the best player in the NBA. Oh, wow. That's all right. Come on. Luka that's, Doncic that's is the best player in the NBA. Over Kawhi, over yes. LeBron, over yes. KD. Yes. Oh, my God. Well, Kevin, Durant, Kevin Durant hasn't done anything impressive ever since <laughs> landing all these super teams. His job is infinitely easier. All he has to do is win one-on-ones. That uh, Luka Doncic gets triple team, gets quadruple team, gets five team. And you know what? He still puts up 40. Luka Doncic is the best player in the NBA and is going to win the MVP next year. Well, I guess only time will tell. <laughs> but, again, uh, thank you to everyone who's, who's listened to this podcast. This one was definitely more lengthy conti and nick episode nine by far the best podcast we've had so far had our second guest which was definitely a step up from third guest if you want want to count brady (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so thank you guys for watching uh make sure to follow us on social media instagram at conti and nick twitter at conti and nick chino hates the twitter we always remember but as big as we may get you know as good of guests as we may get we cannot forget our roots and we cannot forget our sending off speech John Bro! Peace! <laughs>